Good morning. Our call to worship from Psalm 37. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. yourself because of evil doors be not envious of wrong doors for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday has than the abundance of many wicked for the arms of the wicked shall be broken but the Lord upholds the righteous the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way though he fall he should not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand turn away from evil and do good so shall you dwell forever for the Lord loves justice he will not forsake his saints they are preserved forever but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever.
let us come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come into your presence this morning out of dust and ashes. We come before you and we cry to you violence and will you not save? Destruction and violence are before us. Our eyes are heavy with iniquity. It seems as though the law is paralyzed, that justice too often goes forth perverted. We mourn the lives of too many of our brothers and sisters. We lament that they have been sacrificed to the idols of greed, that we have made our own might our God. We have sown lies of self-glory and control and reap blood. We grieve not only for the lives lost that we witness on screen and in the mass shootings that make the news, but for those who die in the shadows and that are taken in silence. In our confusion and disbelief, we wait for your judgment. In our pain, we long for your justice. Father, we pray that you look upon that which we cannot bear to, that which we cannot bear to. We surrender to your vision and await your peace. We ask this morning that you grant us tender hearts and courage as we wait on your faithfulness. We pray that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of your glory as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Now continue our service um, through a time of confession. We'll first do so corporately and then through song and then have a time for silent personal confession. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor dis discipline me in your wrath, for my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My strength fails me and the light of my eyes. It also has gone from me. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. O Lord, fight against the ones who hate me without cause into my soul. Say I am your salvation. Oh Lord, fight against the ones who hate me without cause into my soul. Say I am your salvation. take a moment for silent personal confession.
Father, we thank you that you meet us in grace and pray that you embrace us with your forgiveness. Draw near to us that we might have life and have it abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, please stand for the words of assurance. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Um, as we have been welcomed, let us welcome one another. Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here worshiping with you. And looking at God's word, and thanks, Will, for reading for us. Uh, we're going to continue uh, this morning and for a couple weeks uh, this uh, sermon series during Epiphany, looking at the beginning parts of the Gospel of Matthew, and especially around the question of identity or recognizing things or seeing things uh, rightly. And I, I want to begin before we, before we read our passage from Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 12. I mentioned that when I first moved to Chicago, um, I worked at DePaul University doing campus ministry, leading a campus ministry there. And during that time, uh, DePaul was voted the happiest campus in America. I don't know if there's any correlation or not. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it was voted the happiest campus in America. And I remember, you know, talking to the students, then they were both glad and a little surprised. Wow, I didn't, I, I didn't know I was so happy. Um, but it, maybe you uh, have noticed, it seems often in the, the news or maybe on Netflix or other streaming things, there's, there's a number of surveys or documentaries or podcasts about what makes somebody happy, what brings it about, who's happy, who's not. And some of these studies or projects get attention because their findings are contrary uh, to maybe what we expect. The findings around happiness go against cultural assumptions. In particular, they often highlight the, a common mistake that we equate the accumulation of wealth or possessions, the, the list of successes with happiness. Uh, for example, one recent article that I saw described an experiment with three groups, a group of recent lottery winners, a group that experienced significant accidents leading to being paralyzed, and then a random group which just happened to be Illinois residents. But the study found that the lottery winners were no happier now than the other groups, nor were they expecting to be happier in the future. And the report, I mentioned this partly because it offers this fascinating conclusion toward the end, saying that we as humans routinely mispredict, we routinely mispredict how much pleasure or displeasure future events will bring us. Humans mispredict or we struggle to identify or to recognize or discover what things will be, bring satisfaction or happiness. Well, these things are really interesting, 
And I mention them for us to, to think about what we see or what we perceive, but also this question of identifying what is satisfaction because it helps us enter into our passage uh, this morning. We'll be looking at the opening of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this long teaching that covers chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. And this long teaching opens with what's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a collection of sayings that have a specific formula, each opening with a blessing, then offering a promise. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, or some translations put it forth, happy are. The Greek word translated blessed is connected to this idea of human satisfaction, human fulfillment, things that make us feel fulfilled or good about life. And so Jesus' language, this opening set of blessing, is an invitation for you and me to ask, you know, what are we seeking? And where do we hope to find it? And if we are like many others, who routinely mispredict where it will be found. So let's look at our passage. This is from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. You can follow in your order of worship or uh, follow along in your Bible. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you or persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word that you've given to us, and we ask that your spirit would illuminate uh, it to us, that you would allow us to see and receive uh, your word this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's been times uh, in the past of the church where we've walked through each of these Beatitudes and consider them, uh, but today in this, in this sermon series, we're going to look at them as a whole, and, and there's two questions I want us to ask as we consider them uh, this morning. First is, why does Jesus open his sermon this way? So why open his sermon with these sayings? That's the first question. And the second thing is that we can then ask is, what does it mean for us to receive them? What does it mean for you and me to receive them? So let's start with this question. Why does he open his sermon with these sayings? Well, let's, we can look at how our passage opens. We're told that seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and, then, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. There are great crowds, if you recall, uh, in chapter 4, we were told that many people had witnessed Jesus healing. They'd heard him speaking. And now there was a great group gathering around him, following him. And in the midst of this great crowd, though, there are also those that are called disciples. And what sets these disciples apart, we see it even in this opening sentence, that when Jesus sat down, which culturally was to assume the position of a teacher, when he takes that teaching position, the disciples are those who drew near, ready to listen to him. And to help us understand the, the scene that's being set before us, it's, it's good to, to look back in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, as Israel, as the people of God, they coming to the promised land. Remember, they... They had been freed out of bondage in Egypt. They had passed through the Red Sea and, and through the experience of the wilderness. And as they arrive on the border, getting ready to go into the promised land that God said would be their home, God affirmed again his covenant to them. He affirmed his covenant, and he also offered a list of blessings and curses based on their obedience or their disobedience. 
And as part of this message, God said, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they did in the land of Egypt where you used to be. And you should not be like those in the land of Canaan where you are headed. You should not be like the Egyptians or the Canaanites, but rather you should keep my ways and walk in them. That was then, but it's helpful for us to understand what's happening now. See, now Matthew is showing Jesus affirming and establishing his new covenant. Over the last weeks of looking at the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen Jesus reenact or rewalk the story of Israel, going through the waters of baptism, facing the uncertainties and the tests of the wilderness. Now he stands in the land of promise, and now he speaks blessings of his new covenant. He speaks of his kingdom in which there's blessings for the humble, for the poor, the mourners, the hungry, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And so we can ask this question again, what is he doing? Why start the sermon in this way? And what I want us to feel or to think about is that these blessings are a disruption, not just of the assumptions that we might have or our world, but they were a disruption even of the assumptions of his day. In this moment, he is, as they prepare to kind of receive his kingdom that is at hand, he is offering a different answer, a different framework to the questions of who is blessed? Who is happy? Where is life? And so this disruption opens a sermon in which numerous times in chapters 5 and 6 and 7, Jesus will remind his disciples, those who want to hear him, he reminds them of the uniqueness, the uniqueness of God's people. Even in chapter 6, very directly saying, do not be like them. Do not be like the Gentiles. Do not be like the nations. Do not be like the Pharisees, the, the religious serious ones around you. Do not be like whatever group surrounds you and tempts you to conform to them. Maybe we can picture uh, a whiteboard with a good Expo marker. You guys like white writing on whiteboards, something really satisfying about it. But maybe we can picture this kind of brainstorming session in which we create a list of the common or the assumed answers to what things will bring satisfaction or contentment, what marks out a good life, what things would be on this list that we could create. We could think of things like success, or at least not failing at work or at school. We could think of things like being known or, or being liked or respected, able to handle things having harmony in your relationships, gathering resources, or making sure that you have enough resources for retirement or for the future, having a long life, comfort, maybe winning at the things that matter to us, finding pleasure, having power to get our way or get the last word. Maybe there's other things that would come to mind. But if we can picture a whiteboard with such a list, I want us to see that what Jesus is doing in this opening as he's trying to invite people to see his kingdom is that he's going through each thing on the list and kind of flipping it around. To our desire for wealth and sufficiency, Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To our desire for no suffering and no pain, Christ says, blessed are those who mourn. To our desire for fame or for victory, he says, blessed are the meek. To our desire for contentment or maybe a selfishness, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to our desire for the last word, Getting the last word, he says, blessed are the merciful. To our desire for pleasure, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And to our desire for getting our way, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
and to our desire for being accepted and well-liked. He says, blessed are the persecuted. Jesus is offering a different framework, disrupting, inviting us to think about how his kingdom could be different. John Stott, when writing about this section of the sermon, writes that often before the Holy Spirit comforts us, it disturbs us. Often before the Holy Spirit comforts us, it disturbs us. And what I want us to see or feel is that each of these Beatitudes is deeply counterintuitive, and in their strangeness, Jesus is challenging our ideas, our assumptions, or how we see life, or maybe evaluate ourselves or those around us. And in the wonder of Jesus' grace and in his love, these Beatitudes are from Jesus. He's speaking to them, but when we receive them, when we hear them, they lead us back to him. They are words that he's speaking, but they are invitations for us to come to him, bringing our longings and hearing his call. Of course, it's important as we ask, why does he start his sermon this way with these kind of disruptions? It's important for us to say that Jesus is not oblivious to the fallen, violent world. Earlier in Matthew, we're told that he witnessed John the Baptist be arrested and be killed. And Jesus knows his own path is headed for the cross. He knows that mourners often go uncomforted. He knows that the meek do not seem to inherit the earth. And those who long for justice often take those longings to the grave. But Jesus is inviting us in these things to think about his kingdom, to think about how his kingdom is different than the world. Do not be like them. Do not be like those that were in your past or those who are ahead of you. Walk in my ways, God says to his people. To invite us to a kingdom in which, one, in which the powerful do not abuse or discard those without power where humility and meekness, not dominance, is celebrated, and where reconciliation and peace, not maneuvering or getting the last word, is the goal. Jesus disrupts and invites us to imagine how his kingdom is different. That's the first question is why. Why start that way? And the second, though, for us, is we hear, we hear that disruption. If we hear the compelling nature of what he's saying and imagine that his kingdom is different than the world, then we can ask, what do we do? How do we respond or how do we receive these blessings? Well, as I mentioned, the Beatitudes are from Jesus, but they also lead us to him. They are from him and they are an invitation for us to hear his call to turn ourselves towards him. And, and as a whole group, what they are inviting us to think about is what it means to empty ourselves. To empty ourselves. Which sounds strange, right? But Jesus has been saying this throughout his ministry. He says it throughout that when you hold on to your life, you lose it. But if you lay down your life for my sake, you will find it. Or what does it gain, what does it gain a man or a woman to have the whole world, but lose your very self, to lose your soul. See, Jesus here again is inviting us not just to hear them, but to, to draw near that we would empty ourselves. The author, Jennifer Carlson, writing as a sociologist about American culture, she, she writes this, Americans generally do not appreciate vulnerability as a fact of human life. They tend to prefer talking about such things as moral failing, poor choices, or lack of merit, all categories that stress human control and activity. But that does not connect with the nature of the human condition. By virtue of being human, we all experience a basic frailty that can't be avoided the suffering of loss, the experience of pain. 
Americans generally do not appreciate vulnerability as a fact of human life. I don't know what you think about that or what your experience of that is. But I think it's worth us considering this idea that instead of talking about or being comfortable with vulnerability or dependence, maybe our natural ways our culture talks is more about human choices of making bad choices, moral failures, not having enough merit or talent. See, it's in this context that we hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. In this context in which vulnerability or dependence is not kind of acknowledged as a part of life, we hear Jesus say, blessed are those who grieve, the meek, the hungry, the merciful. These descriptions that Jesus gives in his blessings are all descriptions of a posture in which we acknowledge or recognize our weakness in which we in some way acknowledge our need and our limits, that we do not have the righteousness or the peace or reconciliation we long for. In his ministry and his kingdom throughout, Jesus lifts up those who know their needs. Those are the ones that he ministers to, the fallen ones that he lifts up. And that's what brings forth in the kingdom of God a, a tenderness, or graciousness, a regarding of others that those around might forget or overlook. In order to explore this idea of, of us responding by, by thinking about what it means to empty ourselves or to acknowledge our human frailty, with the rest of our time, I want us to, to briefly look at the what we could call the Beatitude bookends. The, the, the two have the same promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In these two bookends, we invited to think about the theme or what it would need to respond. For in them, Jesus says, Let's go, let us go, let go of our self-sufficiency and let go of our desire for approval or acceptance by others. To our desire for wealth and sufficiency, Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here, poor in spirit does not mean being depressive. It does not mean only a financial condition. It's not about having a bad self-image or being morbid. Rather, it's fundamentally knowing who we are. How we've been treated or how we have failed ourselves. Poor in spirit means I painfully know my selfishness my ability to act hatefully, my lack in love or my lack of patience, my inability to make things the way I desire. And Jesus, I want to be clear, Jesus is not saying that experience that you've had or I've had, that it's a blessing in and of itself. Experiencing hurt or even seeing our own pain or despair they're not blessings in and of themselves, but they can be, by God's grace, windows or moments of clarity when we see through the illusions of pride or control. And it's to the person who sees, whose those illusions are taken down, those who see and recognize Jesus announces, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because Jesus is saying, I am here. I am with you in my kingdom. I bring it especially for you and others like you. When we have a moment in which we see our need or our lack of control or our depravity, Jesus says, my kingdom is for one such as you. No one can be a follower of Jesus without this spirit no one can be a disciple without discovering that the kingdom is a gift, not a reward. And so Jesus, by his opening blessing and this disruption for us to receive it, means to repent or to deal with our self-confidence, our self-importance, our self-righteousness. The other book in the other side 
that Jesus addresses to our desire for acceptance or being liked, he says, blessed are the persecuted. Of all of the lists, this might be the strangest one, right? Persecution comes when the dominant or assumed narrative is questioned, when assumptions are put in tension. In this case, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who do what is right or those who seek what is just, those who identify with what is righteous. And if you read through the next chapters in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is inviting his disciples to be different, to to walk in a different way, we see this righteousness take shape. It's a righteousness that brings about a negative response at times, he says. In seeking reconciliation and forgiveness, we might be called cowards. In making decisions for purity or fidelity, we might be called closed-minded. In responding to difficulty with nonviolence, we might be called weak. In acts of generosity, we might be called naive or wasteful. And in loving our enemies, we might be called unpatriotic, dangerous, or foolish. Jesus is inviting us to see that blessings, the blessings of his kingdom, does not ultimately rest in the acceptance or approval of others. How do we, like the disciples, draw near? Well, most religions, after hearing a bunch of sayings, the answer would be that we, we do these things so that we can be close to God. But I want us to hear that that's not what Christianity says. Christianity says that we listen or we draw near because God has already found us. Not that we're making our way to him, but that he has already drawn near God has joined us in our need, in our poverty, in our mourning, in our suffering, in our longing. God has joined us there, invited us to find the blessings of his kingdom, that we're not alone, that the evaluation of the world is not what will endure, but that he welcomes us as his children to walk in his ways and his kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's in these blessings that we find a new way of living. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are good and gracious to us. We pray, Lord, that these words would be a challenge to us, but also ones that lead us back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us, please, and we'll sing together. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She
Almighty God, your faithfulness to us knows no boundaries. Grant us eyes to see your patience and your love for us as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord, Having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. As we remind ourselves each week as we come that this is a gift from Christ given to nourish us in our needs. As I mentioned in the sermon that the beatitudes that Jesus offers, the blessings, they come from him, they're his teaching, but they're invited to lead us back to him. As they challenge us or maybe disrupt our assumptions or open us up to hope and the possibilities of being seen and acknowledged. They're an invitation for us to come to Christ, to find our place at the table that he has set. So this is a gift to you, not because we have somehow caught his attention or deserve this, but because of his grace for you, especially in your vulnerability and dependence and need. If you know of your need for Christ, and have placed your faith and hope in him, then when we eat this bread and drink this cup to be nourished, to be reminded of his grace, to be met by his spirit. If you're not a follower of Christ, this table is a witness to you about a kingdom that is different than the kingdom of the world, inviting us to walk in different ways, to find life and hope in ways that we do not expect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. And I thank you that you are a God that is gracious with abounding steadfast love. That you bring forth a kingdom of heaven in the midst of a fallen and broken world. We pray, Lord, that, you're, that we would find ourselves in that kingdom, that we find the rest and hope that comes from your work on our behalf. That by your spirit, as you nourish us this day, that we would also learn to walk 
and the ways of that kingdom. To walk as those who are peacemakers, who offer mercy, who seek what is pure and good, who hunger for righteousness and justice. We ask the Lord for your spirit to empower us as individuals and as a community to walk in these ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often we drink this cup or eat this bread, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle to receive the bread and the cup and to go back on the sides. If you're able, I'd ask that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not uh, prepared to take communion today, I still invite you to come forward. You can receive a blessing here at the table. Uh, I'm happy to offer that to you. God invites us to come to his table to receive his gifts. Those who are serving can come forward this time that we can hand these out together. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith.
Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let's drink in faith. I invite you to stand that we may respond to this table with prayer and song and confession of faith. Lord Jesus, you have shown us with your life, death, and resurrection what faithfulness means. Strengthen us to be faithful to your gospel as we proclaim the mystery of faith. declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, worship through a, a time of giving our gifts to, to God for us to respond to God's generosity um, to us. And so I want to invite forward the, the greeters. Uh, they have a, a gray basket for your uh, communion cup and then a, a plate for your offering. Uh, if you'd like to give to the work of the church, you can also do so through the church website. You'll see a note in your order uh, that has the information there or a way for you to text a gift as well. I just want to take a moment to say welcome again, especially if you are uh, visiting with us or, or just started coming to the Lincoln Square Prez. Uh, we're glad that you're here today. And if you uh, would like to share your information with the church or don't receive the, the weekly email that goes out or, or things like that, um, there's a QR code in the order of worship. You can fill out a Connect card online or there are uh, cards in the back that you can fill out and just drop uh, there at the table. Um, there is a time of coffee and bagels after the service. Uh, hopefully you can stay after and have a chance to talk, talk here in the gym. Uh, but also if you go out the back doors and turn left through the glass doors uh, on my left over there, uh, there's the cafeteria and there are tables there and there's coffee and bagels uh, that you can uh, help yourself to. Uh, let us continue giving our gifts uh, to the work of God. stand with us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here
receive God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.